Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about resilience and education. Oh, the places we can go once we know where we've been. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to book a training or know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Without further ado, let's jump on over to the episode. Oh, the places we can go once we know where we've been. This episode is about resilience and education. Let's get started. Resilience is the ability to rise above significant adversity and still have good developmental outcomes and thrive. We know this. We love this. Emmy Werner, you know, my shero of the mother of resiliency research, her quote is, buffers, aka protective factors, make us make a more profound impact on the life course of children who grow up under adverse conditions than do specific risk factors or stressful life events. These buffers appear to transcend ethnic, social class, geographical, and historical boundaries. Such an important quote. One of the most talked about protective places for children is at school. I agree to an extent. We need all layers of society to support development, attachment, problem solving, and purpose. Purpose really is at the heart of optimism. This kind of educational agenda will bring about a more innovative workforce and thoughtful citizens. It's time we come to terms with our U.S. history, and in particular, our education system. It's time we recreate, rebuild, and redesign the education we want for all children. I would argue that the primary focus no longer should be on academics, but instead on citizenship and resilience. Historically, the public education system was tasked with one primary goal, to educate children in order to prepare them to become productive members of society. Let's start by first talking about how the current system of education came to be. In the mid to late 1700s, it's important to note that African Americans, still many enslaved, and poor children were forbidden from a public education. Number two, the primary focus of public education was to develop future leaders who could maintain the country's newfound freedom. So schools focused on teaching wealthy white male students. After the American Revolution, when the U.S. broke away from England, Thomas Jefferson wanted to use tax dollars to fund a public education system with two tracks, the laboring track, we call it today the vocational or skilled learning track, and the learned track, which is what we call today the college prep track. 
Jefferson's idea, however, did not really take hold until 100 years down the line. And when I say public school for all children, I mean all white children. Now it's the 1800s. Public servants began to really advocate for locally run schools, funded by tax dollars, focused on reading, writing, and arithmetic, and of course, religion, with a capital R. They argued that the way to unify a nation was through a common education. I really couldn't agree more, but we have a lot of work to do, and now's the time to get started. However, there are still problems with this historical philosophy of education and the modern-day version we could aspire to build. It gets worse before it gets better. In 1879, federal officials began separating Native American children from their families and forced them to attend harsh boarding schools off the reservation away from their families. They were not allowed to speak their native languages. I don't understand the need of our forefathers to be so insensitive to the family unit. They built our entire country on an economy that tore apart families through slavery and not only stole land, but obliterated the cultures of Native Americans. I'm a white woman. I'm a mom. I'm a passionate progressive. I'm just reporting this history and trying to make sense of how we move forward and learn from our past mistakes. I personally hurt inside when I imagine the pain these black mamas and daddies endured physically and emotionally being handled as property rather than people and having their children torn away from them. I just, it, I can't imagine. Or the insanity of anyone taking my children to quote unquote educate them and harm them for the sake of citizenship on my land? I, I still, I don't get it. My clinical brain, though, thinks of it like this, and it's way, way too simplistic. But it's all I've got to explain these organized, accepted crimes against humanity. Here goes. If I can't have it, then neither can you. America was founded by men who were separated from their country, England. They were not attached to a loving relationship with life. They were in love with law and order and establishing a new government. They had to be detached from the impact on individuals and stay focused on the bigger picture of building a country. And a country requires an economy. These forefathers were detached from their emotional brain. For being so smart, they were literally emotionally impaired. We know more now we use machines to be more efficient and to make more money and save more time. We did the same thing 200 years ago. We used slaves and Native Americans to make more money because it was efficient, completely inhumane, but effective financially. In the early 1900s, we were working from an understanding of, the, of development that said, children were just many adults. We now know this could not be further from the truth. Child labor, exploitation, and abuse was common. Mass immigration, 13 million people in the early 1900s came to America. The goal of education became learn to be an American and learn to speak English. However, still black children were not allowed to attend school with whites and or immigrant children. 
Separate but equal was the law into the middle of the 20th century. In 1954, yes, 1954, only 66 years ago, were blacks allowed to attend schools with whites and immigrant children. Now, this did not keep black people from becoming educated. It really reveals the resilience and strength of this minority group. Africans brought to this country as property, written into the Constitution, originally being valued at three-fifths of a free person. Okay, if you don't know what that means, go read the three-fifths compromise. Add to this the black codes that were enforced following the Emancipation Proclamation that basically continued to enslave blacks to whites by controlling their employment, denying them access to voting, property ownership, education, and a myriad of other rights of citizenship. They were even denied the freedom to gather to worship. I've learned so much during this COVID-19 unearthing of our racist history. And no, I can't get over it. I can't even get past the arrogance of whiteness. I need this history reconciled with in my family's life print. We have to acknowledge the harm and it goes way beyond accidental indiscretions. We are still living with full-blown full racism. We need to acknowledge it, make amends, because that's what decent people do when they personally hurt others or are part of a systemic group that hurts others. It's time to change, folks. We're not going back to normal. And who really wants to? We have to just stop saying that, go back to normal. Nobody wants to go back to normal now that we know about all these things that are becoming unearthed from COVID-19. I find that offensive in light of the new information being uncovered historically and the blatant police brutality, murders, and modern-day lynchings that are undeniable. So where do we go? What do we do? We start conversations and we learn. Now let's talk about education and how to build a system that focuses on resilience. Education has come a long way since the beginning of the 1900s, but now we're once again at a turning point in history. Never in my lifetime has state testing been canceled, even though we all know this information is meaningless to us, stressful for children, and does not capture the data needed to prepare an effective educational plan for schools or for individual students. I think we can let it go. I think state testing has run its course and had its day. We really don't need it anymore. On a personal note, I was profoundly dyslexic as a child. I'm pretty sure I was in the God help her zone with the state test most of my K-12 education. Yet, I never saw those scores. I doubt my parents did. I was an at-risk child, dyslexic. I attended eight schools in 12 years. My school counselor said to me when I inquired about possibly going to college, she said, no, you're not college material. And that was it for me. I decided okay, I'm not going to college. I'm just going to go to work. And I did. And I worked for several years, probably two or three years out of high school before actually going to college and then earning 
two master's degrees and a PhD. So, so I feel like school in so many ways failed me in my education, and I had the advantage of being white and many other privileges of being white. I had a handful of great teachers, but my resilience was definitely challenged. It was challenged because my education was impersonal, disconnected from family, and very institutionalized. The task of educating all children is a massive undertaking, but we also make it overly complicated. I know we aren't quite ready to throw out the entire school system, but I want to share one study with you. Something to think about as we begin the process of redesigning our world. It's called High Performing Learning Communities. It included 1,500 schools, 60,000 teachers, and 1 million students. The question posed by the educational researcher Fellner in 2000 was, quote, how do we create educational contexts in which all children are nurtured and challenged in a way that lead to them being highly effective learners, achieve and perform at high levels, and be healthy and responsible, productive citizens in our democracy? So that was the research question that they were trying to figure out an education system to fill. So how'd they do it? The framework looks like this, and it applies to all students and all teachers, really all adults in the school. It included having early, small learning communities. It included having high expectations for students and empowering students to be part of and involved in decision-making. It also included teaching core academics in an integrated way. The program also included professional development. And the professional development included how to foster health and safety for all students, how to engage families in education, and how to create strong school community and school work linkages. The project on high-performing learning communities found that by reorganizing the high school in this way, they were able to reduce dropout rates by 40 to 50%. Okay, that's just astronomical. We have a high dropout rate, and then people just flounder. And then in our racial minority communities, those dropout rates are even higher. So we have a framework and a system that can reduce dropouts by 40 to 50%. We should be all over this. So what do they do? They, they built small developmentally supportive learning communities with 120 or fewer students. Every student was linked to a teacher or a student, ad, student advisor on a personal level. And then they learned in a caring, connected social environment. We just can't do school like small cities anymore. I've been on campuses that have 4,000 students. And then the percentage of teachers or adults on a campus that size 
just doesn't make any sense to building a healthy society. That's more of an organizational type of an institution, and we're trying to build a connected, resilient, supportive, healthy community using an institutional model. That doesn't make any sense. We need to stop. We need to break away from the institutional model of education and move much more into the community, social, emotional, protective factor model of education. If we're going to grow a socially, emotionally educated society, then we do it by being socially and emotionally connected to each other. The internet is for facts and content in the 21st century. And then we can use that information and have rich dialogues and conversations and learn things from each other about their perspectives about what they learn by reading material and getting information from the internet. But we need humans to be dedicated to the process of growing small humans into happy, healthy, socially responsible, loving citizens. If that's what our goal is, if that's what our outcome is, then we need to create the system to build that outcome. It doesn't work the other way around. So let's do it. Let's leave this life print. Let's change our schools to be inclusive for all, to be small enough to be engaging and challenging and thoughtful and welcoming that we, can, that we can build resilient communities, that we will infuse buffers and protective factors throughout our school system that will then carry into our communities in order to support children through their adversities that they may face in their families or in other situations in their communities. So that's it for today, folks, and I look forward to our next episode. Until then, I love you and leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B, it's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now go leave a life print.